Tonight I wanted to talk about an aspect of experience that when we come in contact with, we often deeply suffer. Extraordinary suffering, actually. And this is the aspect of experience of thinking, the thought process in the mind. None of us here are new to meditation. And so we probably have some idea of just how much we suffer as a result of the fact that the mind thinks. There was a a great Indian master in the Buddhist tradition who lived in the second century. And he said, there is no samsara apart from your own thoughts. So thoughts being a natural occurrence, a function of the mind, and yet an aspect of experience that when we don't have right relationship to, creates incredible suffering, incredible pain. Thoughts themselves form the stories of our lives. And just sitting here, it's easy to look at what your story might be. It may have only been the story of today, the story of the last sitting. But what happens is we have some experience in life, some sensory input comes in, and we create huge webs around this event. And then we begin to weave these thoughts together. And we start to weave these thoughts into an incredible web that binds us, that keeps us feeling isolated, separate, that doesn't allow us to touch into the immediacy of life. we find that these webs are made up of all kinds of thoughts, whether they're happy thoughts, unhappy thoughts, fearful, anxious thoughts, judgmental thoughts, pleasant thoughts, fantasy. They're all thoughts arising in the mind that when we identify with, they start to create this I, this me, mine. They start to create the story of who we are. And even though at times these thoughts are so painful, we find that we cling to them. We hang on to this web that's been woven. It might be because it gives us a sense of security that we aren't then sitting in the unknown. We've created this fabricated world around us that somehow becomes comfortable. It may be that we become attached to and identified with thoughts in a way that helps to make us feel better, to feel more important, Our society, culture, gives a lot of credence to being able to use this faculty of thought. Many of us are highly educated and have learned to use thought in sometimes quite helpful ways. But when we aren't, um, we can become locked in this world of thought disconnected. Each time a thought arises as we're sitting on the cushion, we can watch at times how we create a whole world system. It's almost like a new universe comes into being through identifying with this thought. If we just notice times when we're caught up in the story, the content, we're identifying with it. 
at those times the rest of experience disappears. And it's this little universe that is born from this thought. In these moments, we find that we're cut off from present moment experience. We're living in this world of illusion, this world where we tell ourselves how things are, rather than actually being in touch with the truth of life. We find that these thoughts start to color our world. They form into views, opinions, which can become deeply entrenched and become the default that we go to when we find ourselves in certain situations where we just start habitually responding to life through these views and opinions that we're carrying. Not only do thoughts color our views, color our way of seeing the world in the present moment, they can also put down karmic seeds for the future. The Buddha once said, what we turn our minds towards is what we will reap the fruits of. So if we sit and let ourselves be caught up in thoughts of anger over and over again, we're planting karmic seeds for this state of mind to reoccur in the future. It can happen even just through having thoughts come to mind. That, you know, if we have angry thoughts uh, arising over and over again, it can happen that our face begins to cement into that state of anger. Stepping out into the world, someone might look at us and see, be greeted in meeting us with a very angry face and respond as if we've spoken words of anger. It comes back to us. I know for myself it was a great shock when I first began to meditate and to see just how much the mind likes to think. How there seemed to be this endless stream of thought. In seeing the endless stream of thought, there was getting in touch with a sense of the fantasy world in which I so often live. It was really quite shocking. And, you know, at first there was this sense that was, I was more aware when I wasn't practicing, when I wasn't meditating. But what we find is that often in our daily lives, we just aren't aware of how much thinking is occurring. And as we sit on the cushion, as we begin to settle and see thought after thought after thought arise in the mind, it can be very shocking. As we sit, we begin to see how many times there's thoughts of the past. We keep traveling to the past almost as if we could relive it, as if we could change the past and become really entrenched in our past. Or we might find there's many thoughts of the future, endlessly thinking about what might come to be. There's a a wonderful line by a Tibetan teacher named Geshe Shawopa. He says, do not rule over imaginary kingdoms of endlessly proliferating possibilities. And this is so much what we do in our own experience. We sit there fantasizing about the future. And on retreat, it can be a really simple future. What you're going to do when you get up off the cushion. You know, as if there's some great possibility 
of what you can do at that time. As we sit in meditation, we find this world of thought often weaves itself into the story of my breath, the story of my practice. Whether it's through coming to practice with ideas of how it should be, and it's not, so we keep telling ourselves how bad we are, how we're not very good, or we keep imagining what's going to happen next in our practice. We might weave a story around our attempts to be with the breath, how we're not doing it right, we've never done things right, how this is probably because we didn't get positive reinforcement when we were a child, how because of this we're carrying a very wounded part. We become deeply enmeshed in the story of our attempt to be with the breath. We become enmeshed in the stories of the conditions around us. Now we can be sitting here thinking, the forest refuge, it's such a wonderful place to practice. It's so quiet here. I think if I practice here for a long time, I will certainly become enlightened. And there's just this chit-chat, chit-chat story of our practice at the forest refuge. And meanwhile, we're not paying any attention to our experience in this moment. I probably don't need to tell you about how, sitting on retreat, yogi mind starts to play a part in this story. How little incidents happen and we create whole stories around these incidents. And then there comes the commentary on the experience of the breath, how it's coming in, how it's warm, and oh, it's moving over here now, and now it's dropping here, oh, and now there's tightness. And it's not the experience of warmth, tingling, tightness. It's the story about the warmth, tingling, tightness. How many stories did you create today in your practice? Whether it's about the breath, whether it's about how your practice is unfolding, whether it's about your past, your future. It's something that we so habitually do. It might even be that we had moments of insight, moments of really profoundly seeing something in a new way. And there was a moment where that was the truth. We were seeing clearly. But then, in the next instant, we create another story around it. I'm not pointing this out to discourage us, but pointing it out to know that this is something that we tend to do over and over and over again. It's a very deeply habituated way of being. But our practice is to help us wake up to this process of thinking in a way where the thought isn't there to carry us away, to carry us into deeper into delusion, but can become a mindfulness bell, can call us back to our experience, can call us back to knowing, can call us back to awareness. Our practice helps us step out of this web of delusion and step into the stream of life. 
we can notice this clearly in our experience in any moment where we can be aware of thought, can be aware of this process of thinking. It's like being caught in this imaginary world, and then there's the awareness, thinking. Just in that moment of recognition, there can be a pristine clarity, even if it's only momentary. In that moment, there's a clear seeing of what our experience is. I know in the early days of my practice, when I experienced this, I really had a sense as if I'd been lost in a jungle and there was a moment of suddenly stepping into a clearing. And this happens in these moments of mindfulness, where we are aware of thought as a process, where we can see into the true nature of thought, where we can see this is just another appearance in the mind. It's not substantial. It's not who we truly are. Because when we're not mindful of thoughts, we believe these thoughts. They become the truth of that moment. But when we're aware of them as simply another appearance in the mind, we see how insubstantial they are, how impermanent they are, how fleeting they are, and that they aren't our thoughts. They don't belong to us. They're simply arising out of conditions conditions that are continually changing. When we can learn to be with the experience of thinking and not be swept away by it, it helps to bring a spaciousness to the mind where wisdom dawns, where there is clear seeing, that is not obstructed by the process of thinking. In the course of our meditation practice, we also begin to see, yes, there's a lot of thoughts, and we begin to see there's all kinds of thoughts that We don't have control over these thoughts as they arise, that we have the most bizarre thoughts at times. Sometimes this can be frightening, you know, when we first begin to see this, you know, that uh, thoughts arise where we might suddenly have an image of doing something really violent, or somebody doing something really violent to us, or we might see ourselves doing shameless activities, you know, things that we just normally wouldn't even dream of. We might get caught in really lustful thoughts and, you know, not even able to picture where this thought came from. One uh, IMS teacher, I'm not sure which teacher, said a phrase that I think is really true and helpful to remember, uh, said, the mind has no shame. So, you know, it's almost as we practice, we need to learn not to be embarrassed by some of the thoughts that arise. Because if we're trying, if we become shameful of the thoughts, that just feeds aversion to the thoughts. And through our practice, we really need to learn to be accepting of the thoughts that do arise in the mind. We can't change the fact that the thoughts arise. What we can do is work with our relationship to these thoughts. I'd like to share a teaching by Sokni Rinpoche, who's a Tibetan 
teacher whom maybe many of you have practiced with or have heard of. He actually comes to this area at times. So this is uh, one of his teachings on thoughts. These discursive thoughts come and go, come and go. But this is nothing. It's just the nature of the journey. In fact, it's just like a highway with a lot of cars going backwards and forwards on it. You can't hold on to the cars even if you wanted to. And likewise, our mind has a lot of discursive thoughts coming and going all the time, and you can't hold on to them either. If you get lost in grasping at them, that's not good. If you do not get lost in grasping at them, that is good. If you want to know what is good and not good, it is not whether thoughts arise or not, it is whether you grasp at them or not. And this really takes us just back to the second noble truth that it's grasping that is the cause of suffering. And this is so with thoughts. Uh, going back to Sokni Rinpoche, appearances appearing or not appearing is beside the point. If discursive thoughts arise and you think, this is good, then in fact it is not so good. In brief, whatever comes up in the mind is all right. The point is to be completely free of fixation and grasping. For example, if you think, I am going to kill Sokni Rinpoche, that is nothing in itself. But if you get involved in a heavy train of thought in which you fixate on those thoughts, then that is not at all right. Apart from that, whatever comes up is fine. It is mind's quality to produce thoughts, and it will produce some truly rotten thoughts and some truly wonderful thoughts. There is the whole of samsara, isn't there? So the thought isn't the problem. It is only in the thought that is the problem. The way that thoughts work is that at first they are very subtle, and then if you keep developing them, they get thicker and thicker, until finally they become something that you don't like. At first there is a very small aversion to it, which then, because you continue to think about it, turns into anger, which grows until in the end you strike out at the thing that you don't like. So let go when it first appears. A real practitioner practices that way. I'd like to highlight just a few aspects of what Sokni Rinpoche is speaking about. Really crucial to understand that thoughts themselves are not a problem. It's our grasping, identifying with these thoughts that makes them so solid, that gives them life, that gives them power. If we can just let them be passing appearances in the great sky, they lose their power over us. We're no longer distracted. There's presence, awareness. It's really how we relate to them that is so vital. Learning to see how we get caught, how we get hooked in these thoughts, how we create this sense of self through the thinking mind. When we can simply let thoughts be, arising and passing away. This helps us to see into the truth of impermanence. It is a way that we can experience the mind that is not grasping or clinging. Experience arising and passing away again. We can see how insubstantial these appearances are. And we can really see this in thoughts 
when we don't identify. Sokni Rinpoche points towards not fixating on these thoughts, not solidifying them. And this happens when we bring mindfulness, awareness, when we know of this experience. When we can bring mindfulness, it changes the experience. No, rather than being an experience that is going to exacerbate suffering, exacerbate pain, it becomes a vehicle to wake up. We can look into the true nature of this thought. He also talks about how we have these fabrications of mind and believe them to be true. And how in doing so, there can just be a subtle thought of aversion with which if we let run, if we identify with, could turn into full-blown war. And this can be from a very subtle thought arising in the mind that is unchecked, unnoticed, is believed in, is identified with. And so he suggests just letting them go when they first appear. First appearance of the thought, we can just let it go. We don't need to run with it. We don't need to catch the ball. You know, I, I have this sense as if each time a thought comes, it can be like Mara, you know, sending out this little bait for us to catch. And so often the thought comes, we catch it and we run with it. But we don't need to. We can see it in its arising and simply let go. From the perspective of meditation, nothing is worth thinking about. And this is because thought is on the conceptual level. And our practice is taking us to that which is non-conceptual. It doesn't mean that we never apply thought in our lives. But through our practice, we can learn to be a master of this process, where we can see it for what it is, and it's no longer running the show. We give the space for true wisdom to dawn. So how to work with this thinking mind? The first way is always that of mindfulness. To become aware of the thought in a very soft and relaxed way that is accepting, that is allowing of the process of thought, allowing the thought to be known without rejecting, but simply not fixating, grasping, running with. Because thoughts have a way of arising, often in what's quite a subtle way, and we might not even notice they're there for a while, it can be helpful to note the thoughts. To just make a light mental note when we recognize that there's thinking, thinking, thinking. It's just a reflection of the experience in the moment. As we become aware of it, just to see what happens. Does letting go happen as we become aware of it? Does the thought disappear? 
If so, just staying very mindful as the thought disappears. Is it followed by a new thought? Is there a series of thoughts? It's really helpful to step out of the story of the thought to become aware of the process of thinking. So what actually happens as we notice the thought? We can only do this when we do it from a place of receptivity. And it has that quality of listening. You know, we're not listening to the story about in, that's involved in the thought, but we're listening to experience itself. You know, we can have uh, the experience of thought arising in the mind in just the same way that we hear sounds, in just the same way that we see sights, just another appearance when there's an acceptance, a deep receptivity. But sometimes with thoughts, we might notice that actually there's aversion to. You know, even though we hear that you know, it's just another appearance in the mind, we might like it when thoughts are not present. And so as thoughts appear, we want to get rid of them. So sometimes there can be a tendency to want to annihilate them through thinking, you know, so, or through the noting of them, but it's like we just hammer on the, you know, a thought arises and it's like thinking, 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 and it doesn't hold that quality of acceptance. So you might need to notice in your noting of the thoughts, is aversion there? Are we trying to push away this thought? Or can we just allow it to be? At times, we may find it helpful to note the thoughts with more precision because they can be this web that can be a fog-like web and we can be somewhat mindful of thinking and yet the web continues. And it, it points towards the need to come into a more direct relationship with that experience. And so it's like just honing the mind into the experience of thought. And as we do so, we might suddenly become aware that it's a thought of judgment. It's a thought based on fear. It's a fantasy thought. And so we could just name it as fantasy, fear, um, planning mind. What, just noticing what type of thought it is. Now, this is not so helpful if that throws us into analyzing, sitting there thinking more about what our experience is. If that happens, then it's needing to simplify. And, you know, sometimes it can just be the knowing that thought's there without needing to make a mental note of it, but the knowing arises naturally. We see into the nature of thought. Sometimes it's just to note it as thinking, no matter what type of thought. And other times to bring in this quality of precision by noting the type of thought. Sometimes as we're sitting, the web may feel really thick, dense, as if we're really lost in this fantasy world. You know, it's sitting gray, cloudy, and you know you're you're on the beach in another country. You're um, doing some noble action in the world. You're just really lost in something. It can be really helpful to sit with your eyes open, to help stay connected in present time. We may find that there's repetitive thoughts, obsessive thoughts, you know, thoughts that keep repeating themselves over and over again. Sometimes it can be helpful to note these in a way of uh, identifying them as a certain tape that plays over and over again in the mind. 
Maybe we have a romance tape that we keep playing over and over. Maybe there's a fear tape, a self-worth tape. And often if we put the word tape on the end of it, it helps us to recognize this is just a habituated pattern of thinking. It's just a tape. It's not the truth of the way things are. And that can help take the edge out of it. It can help take the identification out of it. Many times when there is a repetitive thought, there may be an emotion that's tied in with this thought that we aren't seeing, that we aren't aware of. And so sometimes when there is a repetitive thought, it can be helpful to pause for a moment and just look to see if there is a mind state that's there, something that's feeding this thought. It might be anxiety, might be sadness, fear. And we haven't noticed it in our experience. And as a result, thoughts solidify. There's also a strong connection between the thinking mind and the body. Many of our thoughts will have an impact on the body. Thoughts of aversion might create a tension, a tightness. Thoughts of desire, even though you're sitting, um, you might be imagining something that you want, and you might find that there's a posture of leaning forward. And so sometimes it can be helpful to notice what's happening in the body. It can help us to uh, touch into emotions that may be fueling our thoughts. Noticing how we're relating to the thoughts. Sometimes just being aware whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. Noticing how when there's pleasant thoughts, we can be happy to be identified momentarily with these thoughts. We can get carried away into fantasy worlds. And you know, sometimes uh, it may be fantasy worlds, and sometimes it may be that we are enjoying thinking about the Dhamma that this becomes tantalizing, becomes seductive. So helpful to notice when this is happening. And we might drop into noticing the pleasant or unpleasant quality that arises with thinking. We find, as we become mindful of thoughts, there'll be times when you know, we don't notice a thought till after it's passed. Sometimes we might be aware of the impression the thought has left in the mind. Sometimes we might uh, see thoughts in their arising. Sometimes we might even notice the impulse to think. It doesn't matter at what stage we become aware of the thinking. Just to be mindful of however it's being known. And it's really important to stay diligent in the noting of thoughts, the awareness of the thinking mind, because it does so color our vision, cloud our perception. Chanel, a Korean Zen master from the 11th century, said, Don't be afraid of your thoughts. Only take care, lest your awareness of them is tardy. So really staying diligent 
in the awareness of thinking. Not being daunted. You know, sometimes there's just cloud banks of thoughts. But the cloud bank breaks up, is not so solid, if we can be mindful of these thoughts. And then sometimes there'll be great spaciousness. We'll be aware of the space between thoughts. And then maybe it's just the impulse. Maybe it's just a quick appearance in the mind. I've noticed in my own experience that at times it might seem like there's this great space between thoughts and that things are just arising and passing. And then suddenly things aren't quite so clear. And in looking closer, there becomes awareness of a subtle thought. You know, and sometimes it's almost like just a tiny murmur. But this too, we need to become aware of. So that our vision can be unclouded, unobscured. If we've just begun our retreat or find ourselves going through a really restless period, it may be really difficult to sit down and try to be mindful of the thinking process. Often we will need to spend periods of time where we develop stronger concentration, a stability in the mind that can then be turned towards directly perceiving experience. So, you know, at the beginning of a meditation period, at the beginning of a retreat, uh, it can be helpful to spend some time where we're just with the experience of breath. And then thought arises, we just recognize that and return to the breath. Very consciously just letting go and coming back. And this is an expression of wisdom in the letting go. And we just simply come back. But, and this will lead to a state where thoughts don't arise so much, where the mind is protected by concentration. But this concentration is impermanent. And so it is necessary that at some point we let go of that form of concentration where we're just staying with one object and be able to open to changing experience, the changing nature of experience, all of life's experiences. And this is where we learn to open to the thinking mind without being swept away by it. But if you are in a really restless phase, it may be helpful to work very simply with being with the breath, letting go of thoughts as they arise, and coming back to the breath. Despite our best efforts, there are times when we become deeply entangled with the world of thought. And I'd like to share some of the guidelines that the Buddha gave in working with distracting thoughts. So this can be, you know, after we've given our best effort to be mindful and find ourselves continually swept away by the thinking mind. So his first guideline is to replace unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts. An example of this is if we find ourselves caught in uh, thoughts desiring something, where there's strong attachment, we can reflect on impermanence. We can reflect on how the object that we find ourselves lusting after is impermanent in its very nature. 
when we work with replacing unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts, this is uh, a way in which we often describe in working with the hindrances where we start to use antidotes to the hindrances, where we start to use skillful means uh, to work with these thoughts or these places where we are identified. I noticed in my own experience where, you know, many times during the night I might wake up and it can be hard to be mindful when I'm only semi-awake. And this can lead to a state of restlessness where the mind is really agitated. Rather than just trying to be there and be mindful of this deeply agitated mind, this restless mind, I began to see that it was more helpful to, at that time, turn the mind towards loving-kindness, turn the mind to metta. This, you know, started to calm the mind, to soften the mind, to help the mind to be more accepting. The Buddha likened this way of working to a carpenter who might knock out, remove, and extract a coarse peg by means of a fine one. So we're knocking out a coarse, aversive thought with a much finer thought. The next suggestion that the Buddha gave was to reflect upon the faults of the disturbing thought. We can do this in our practice in a moment of anger where we're caught up in that anger and then to just in that very moment look and see in our own experience the impact of that angry thought, how it is poisoning the mind in that moment how it's creating suffering. And this can help to give us the energy to simply let go, to not fuel that angry thought, but to let it go. And the Buddha likened this process to a a person who is fond of ornaments and then they suddenly become aware of the ornament, horrified, humiliated, and disgusted by the ornament that they have hung around their neck because it's the ornament of a carcass of a snake, a dog, or a human being. It's kind of a vivid imagery. But that's what happens on our experience when we employ this technique. You know, we reflect on the fault of the disturbing thought And we really begin to see the suffering that's in it. And it's like, oh, why would I hang on to this? And we find it just lets go. You know, we we don't want to hang on to it. The Buddhist third suggestion was to forget these thoughts. not to give them any attention. And we really rely upon wisdom to do this. And so, you know, this can be seen in the example of a repetitive thought, an obsessive thought. And it just comes back over and over and over again. And we go down the same route over and over and over again. And then it's like, oh, I don't need to go there. This goes nowhere. And so, you know, the thought comes and we just forget about it. We let it go. Or it could be in the case that um, there's something happening in the retreat center that we know triggers angry thoughts. Maybe it's somebody sits in a particular place in the dining room and they have this way of chewing that just drives us insane. And so, you know, 
it could be that for day for some reason we have this way of planting ourselves in the face of these people at times and so we go and sit in front of them every day and they you know they crackle away as they chew and it drives us nuts and we just sit there in a state of total aversion all the time well instead of doing that we can go sit at another table <clears throat> I had a friend who was sitting with Sayadaw Upandita, and she reported that um, she was having a similar experience, that she kept going to a walking place that she had been walking in for a while, and then suddenly someone had joined her, and it had ir- this person irritated her. And she got really angry uh, all the time when they turned up. And she, in reporting this to Sayadaw Upandita, had expected that she would hear uh, instruction on how to be with the anger, how to you know, really investigate the anger. But instead he told her not to go there. Go find another place to walk. You know, and so sometimes with some of this obsessiveness, it's, you know, it's the, the, the same kind of energy that we have for picking at a scab, you know, where you, know, you just become obsessed with you know, niggling into it. And he's, Buddha's saying, forget it. Just don't go there. So this is another way to work with it. The fourth instruction that the Buddha gave in working with distracting thoughts is that of stilling the thought formations of those thoughts. And this is done through a form of inquiry into what is the cause of this thought and this may be something, you know, it can be the experience of a thought on quite a gross level. And then we start inquiring into the underlying cause, which may be something that's more subtle. And then we keep inquiring until, in my own experience, it's as if you're left looking at the place where thought arose, the space in which the thought had arisen. And it's, it's become stilled, quiet. And this is likened to a man who is walking, and he asks, he's walking fast, and he asks, why am I walking fast? What if I walk more slowly? And then, why am I walking slowly? What if I stand? Why am I standing? What if I lie down? And each body position gets replaced with a more subtle body position. We begin looking into a gross thought and then look more deeply and more subtly until there's nothing there. But some thoughts are really tenacious. Some thoughts have a lot of impact, or, you know, rise with great intensity. And so the Buddha's uh, fifth way of working with some of these thoughts, this is a direct quote from him. With teeth clenched, the tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. When I first read that, I thought, that can't be from the Buddha. (laughs) You know, that points towards suppression. And I always understood the Buddha's teachings to be that of acceptance. And having had many habits in my life of repressing feelings, trying to repress that which I didn't want to experience, I didn't want to perpetuate I didn't want to, you know, push things down. And yet here's the Buddha saying, with teeth clenched, the tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. In the commentaries, this is the crushing down, described as the crushing down of an unwholesome thought with, with a wholesome thought. It was helpful 
for me in the understanding of this to remember that motivation is crucial. We aren't clenching down, you know, trying to crush this thought from an unwholesome place of trying to deny our experience. But we can actually use this force in the mind because we recognize that this mind is overwhelming us. This thought, this thought in the mind is overwhelming us. It's taking over. It's running the show. And it's not helpful. And so we call upon a great force inside ourselves to crush that thought. Another helpful way to me, so our motivation, just to go back to that, our motivation can be wholesome, can be done from not the place of denial, but the place of recognition that in this moment we need to call forth the strongest energy possible to still this thought. And there is something in that that I loved about the Buddha, that he was so resolute. He said, you know, he was really clear in do not feed thoughts of anger. Do not feed thoughts of hatred. And that we have to be really strong when we face these forces in the mind. And that sometimes this is going to take an incredible strength. And this way of working we can also relate to in the way the force, the strength of mind that a drug addict needs in order to come to overcome dependency on a drug. No, it really takes that needing to, to call upon that great force, but from a wholesome place. And it's not the way that we go in the first instance of something arising. We try to work skillfully. We, we, you know, it's really first to see, can we be mindful of a thought? Can we just simply recognize it? And then, if we get entangled, we can then move into using some of these other ways that the Buddha spoke about in working with distracting thoughts. So just to refresh your memories on the ways that the Buddha spoke about, First, replacing unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts. The second, to reflect upon the faults of the disturbing thoughts. The third, to forget the thoughts. The fourth, to still the thought formations. And the last, with teeth clenched, the tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. This is not meant to imply that we never use thought. The Buddha talked about wisely reflecting. But just to remember that in our practice, we are really learning to touch into the non-conceptual that isn't a construction of this process of thinking.
the world of thought has many manifestations. We become acquainted with these different manifestations as we practice. We become more at ease with the different ways that thought arises. We learn to be steady, diligent in the awareness of this thinking mind. In doing so, the thoughts lose their power. They do become just another appearance in the mind. The Buddha once said that when we work with thoughts in these ways, one's mind becomes steady, internally quieted, brought to singleness and concentration. Then one is called a master of the courses of thought. Working with thought requires diligence, patience, acceptance in this seemingly ceaseless stream of thoughts, aware of the thoughts arising, passing, the space between thoughts, and resting in the natural awareness of all of the appearances in the mind. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.